Did Jesus rise again from the dead? How can I know for sure he rose again from the dead or not? Find out in this episode of Truth in Faith. If the resurrection of Jesus physically from the dead did not happen, then you would have no real Christianity, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. This begs the question, how do we know the resurrection of Jesus happened? It occurred over some 2,000 years ago, and we can't go back to that moment and see it for ourselves. Is there any historical evidence that can prove Jesus really rose from the dead? Yes, there actually is. Find out how we can prove Jesus really rose again from the dead in this episode. Thank you for listening to Truth and Faith. Please consider following the podcast and visit truthandfaith.com for more. So here's what I'm going to do now. We're going to build our case for the resurrection. I told you the Old Testament prophesied it. Why does that matter? Well, it means that the New Testament church didn't come up with something new. They understood something from the Old Testament that wasn't previously understood. They didn't make it up. They were looking back and saying, now we see what the Old Testament was talking about all along. Then the New Testament testifies to it. Can we use the New Testament as valid evidence to make our case when we're trying to prove what it says? That somewhat sounds circular, I understand that, but in this instance my argument would be that's not circular reasoning because, as I'll show you later with some quotes, even non-Christian historians affirm Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are historical documents. They're valid. And there's evidence to know that these are historical documents. Again, just, re- just remember in your mind, they stop short of believing the spiritual stuff they'll say. That he rose from the dead and that there's sins and all that. But when it comes to stories, these are considered valid historical documents of record. Well, let's look at some historical facts that we need to answer. How can we explain these? Number one, Jesus was a real person from history who was literally killed by crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. Number two, Jesus was buried in a known person's tomb called Joseph of Arimathea. Number three, Jesus' tomb was found empty on the third day, the morning after he was killed. Number four, Jesus' disciples claimed They physically saw Jesus after he was killed. And fifth, Jesus' early followers experienced radically changed lives because of their claim that they saw Jesus after his death. This is what we'll look at then in a little bit more detail. But this is really, these things right here I just shared with you are known historical facts even outside of the Bible. Non-Christian historians uh, again, I don't want to broad brush and say 100% of them. I can't say that. But I will say such phrases as an overwhelming majority of even non-Christian scholars and historians will not deny these things. These are true facts. What they will deny is the conclusion you and I come to. Well, the Bible means what it says. He rose from the dead. But let's look at these. Jesus was a real historical person killed by crucifixion. I actually had one of my professors say to me, You don't even know that this man Jesus really existed. You weren't there. Here's what's interesting. Let me share with you some stuff here. 
non-Christian historians, again, I'm stressing to you, these are non-Christians. Non-Christian historians and scholars attest to this fact. It is an indisputable fact from known history outside the Bible that a man named Jesus from Nazareth really did live and really was killed by hanging on a cross called crucifixion by a Roman governor named Pontius Pilate. That is known historical record. We have a first century historian named Josephus who was a Jew, not a Christian, had every reason to deny Jesus, right? He's Jewish. He's a Jewish historian, not a Christian historian. He lived in Jesus' day. We have him on record from one of his books saying a quote like this, When Pilate, upon hearing him accused of, him is Jesus. When Pilate, upon hearing him accused of, by men of the highest standard among us, had condemned him to be crucified. So that is a Jewish historian living in Jesus' day, writing in one of his historical books, yes, there was a man named Jesus, yes, he was put on trial, and Pilate became convinced by the leading men among us, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, you know the story, they committed him to death by crucifixion. We have a Roman historian now. Again, not a Christian, right? A Roman historian from the same era named Cornelius Tacitus, he said this, Nero fastened the guilt, that means he accused, the burning of Rome and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class called Christians by the populace Christos, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty, meaning crucifixion during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. That's really wordy. Remember, they're writing a long time ago. So I would interpret this in layman's terms to say this. He is writing and saying one of their emperors, Nero, accused Christians for setting fire to Rome. If you read history, you'll find that Rome nearly burned completely as a city uh, shortly after Jesus' time. Well, the emperor Nero accused Christians of doing it. And that allowed him to publicly get away with arguably being one of the most hateful emperors against Christians. Um, He would literally douse them with oil and set them on fire to light the streets at night. He hated Christians. Well, this historian is looking back and saying, that guy accused, uh, he calls them a class of people called Christians. But notice what he attributes Christians to. He says, well, they get their name from this guy, Christ or Christos, who, and he admits as a fact of history is the part I underlined. He suffered crucifixion at the hands of one of their governors, Pontius Pilate. Again, these aren't Christians. They're not saying they believe in him as, as Savior. But I'm just trying to make a case for you that these are known historical facts outside the Bible that this man, Jesus, literally lived and died at the hands of Pilate by crucifixion. Well, the second one then, Jesus, that same Jesus, was buried in a rich man's tomb. Okay, can you guess why this matters for us, that we know he was buried in a rich man's tomb named Joseph of Arimathea? So think of it like this. How much more difficult will it make it for you to fake your story if you're including in it a popular figure. My contention to you is this, okay? Because we know where Jesus was buried, and Joseph of Arimathea was not a nobody, and I'll share that with you in a moment, 
that would make it very, very hard to fake your story because it's so much easier to go and prove you wrong. Now, if you claimed he, for example, let's say you claimed uh, he was buried in a commoner's graveside. Well, but now then that leads to some problems for your story. You tell me he rose from the dead and all I can do is say, yeah, but he was buried in a commoner's graveside. How do you know grave robbers didn't steal his body? How do I know you didn't confuse which graveside he was buried in? Well, all of that becomes not likely to have happened when we look at this piece right here. This matters because if it's a known, notable public figure who took Jesus' body, buried him in his own private rich man's tomb, then you now have it on public record where Jesus is buried. That becomes, uh, again, a lot more difficult to fake that story because all i got to do is go to that tomb and prove you wrong. So he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, Arimathea, however you want to say it. We have at least five early independent sources outside the Bible that verify this as a fact of history. So I've, I've tried to prove to you it's an historical fact that Jesus really did live, really was killed by crucifixion by Pontius Pilate. Other historians attest to that. And now I'm saying to you there are also other outside-the-Bible sources that attest to this as a fact, that after he was crucified, a man named Joseph of Arimathea took possession of his body, custody of it, and had it buried in his own personal private tomb. But who was Joseph? Why does that matter? Joseph of Arimathea was a notable public figure. The point is everyone would have known who he was and therefore would have known where his personal private tomb was located. He was a rich man. Who was he? Well, he was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. I would tell you, and this isn't an apples-to-apple comparison, but the way I would explain the Sanhedrin, think of our Supreme Court in America. Joseph of Arimathea would have been sort of the equivalent to one of our Supreme Court justices. He was a ruling member of their, uh, their court, their, their, their highest council, their highest court for Jewish law. He was wealthy. He had political status. He was a leading member of that court. So he's politically connected has power. And Matthew, Mark, and John, they actually say in their stories that he was afraid. But they say he worked up the courage to go ask for Jesus' body. He was afraid, I would argue, probably because of who he was. I mean, he had a lot to lose. Okay, but again, I stress to you, it makes no sense that the Bible writers would have made up this story and used a man like Joseph of Arimathea in their made-up story because that would have been too easy to prove wrong. Imagine for a moment with me that let's say the story of Jesus happens today, and let's say it happens here in America. So the Messiah comes, and he comes to America, and he dies, and um, his followers say, like, well, look, he rose from the dead. We'll say, well, no, prove that to me. Uh, I don't know all the Supreme Court justices, okay? So, but let's say they say, well, no, no, listen, one of the Supreme Court justices took put custody of his body, used their political influence to take custody of his body, had him buried in their own private cemetery. Okay, well, let's go there. Because 
we can know for certainty where that is located because that's a known person. That's a, a rich, powerful, politically connected person. A, Sup- a Supreme Court justice is not a nobody. So if they took possession of his body, that's a pretty big deal. That means they really must have cared for the guy, first of all. They have a lot to lose if the guy is a farce. But obviously he cared enough about him to want possession of his body and do him honor and respect and bury him in his own personal tomb. Well, then, if you said, well, I'm still not sure I believe you. You say he rose again. Well, come look at, at the gravesite here. Come look at the cemetery. Well, how do I know I got the right one? It's a Supreme Court justice, man. You're not going to confuse their personal private cemetery. You, y'all get what I'm saying? Like, that is not likely to happen. That's what's going on here with Joseph of Arimathea. He's that kind of guy. And so he takes custody of the body, buries him in his own tomb, and that's, that's, again, very, very significant. Significant for several reasons, as I'm trying to say, because we know that it's a historical fact proven outside the Bible. And secondly, if you're making up this to be a myth, you're not likely to use a guy like Joseph Arimathea in your story. Because let's say Joseph didn't believe this, okay? All he had to do is come forward and say, wait a minute, you guys are a bunch of phonies. It's my private tomb. I never took his body and buried him in there. That's all that would have had to been done, right? Or let's say he did take his body and buried him in there, and we want to argue that, well, the tomb wasn't really empty. Well, we know where his tomb is. It's on record. Let's go look. And if there's a corpse in there, you're all a bunch of liars. That didn't happen, right? They couldn't do that. So that leads into this next point. Jesus' tomb was found empty on the third day. Again, this is proven outside of the Bible. Can we prove this? Yes. Because it was documented to be Joseph's tomb, anyone could have gone to the tomb and proven the disciples to be liars. That's all they had to do. You know how they say, um, no body, no murder, right? Like you can't prove the murder. It's sort of the opposite here. Um, If you have the body, no resurrection, right? That's all they had to do. If the story of Jesus' resurrection was a false, phony legend that they made up, it should have been the most easily disproven lie in history. That's sort of my opinion, but I think a lot of scholars would agree with me. Because that's a big claim that a dude rose from the dead who claimed to be the Son of God, God in flesh, said he would do it, then did it. I have every reason to try to prove you wrong if I don't want to believe your story. And what I'm trying to make the case for you tonight is these historical facts known outside the Bible do not make a lot of sense if this story is false. Why would you use Joseph in your story if he didn't really take the body? Well, then let's say he really did take the body, but Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. How do I explain the empty tomb? All I have to do is go look at the tomb where everybody knows where it is, find the body. And we'll get to in a little bit, well, but what if they stole the body and stuff like that? But suffice it to say right now, you have to square with this evidence. The tomb was found empty. It could have been so easy to prove the resurrection story false. Just go to the publicly known tomb, show the body. Why did they not do that? My argument is they did not do that because they could not do that. There was no body to be found. So since we can prove from credible historical documents and the Gospels, which again are considered valid historical record, that Jesus did die, was buried, and then his tomb was actually found empty, How? Well, since we can prove that Jesus was buried in Joseph's tomb, the tomb location would have been known. 
Romans, Jews, anyone that had an interest in trying to find the evidence out for themselves, all they had to do was go examine it for themselves and look at Joseph's tomb. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, it would have put an end to this story. They would have been found out to be phonies right away. However, the gospel stories record the tomb of Joseph was found empty. If this was made up or not true, again, I stress all anyone had to do, anyone, think about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They hated Jesus, right? Remember, they stationed guards as well. We haven't even talked about that, how impossible it would have been for them to steal the body. They stationed guards there. All anyone would have had to have done is uh, like go talk to the guards. Well, the guards are like running and hiding. Why? Well, they claim they saw a bunch of angels that knocked them out. So I hope you're seeing that it gets to be a little bit more ludicrous that this story's made up because it has facts in it that are attested outside the Bible that do not make sense that you would have made up. There's no way they got the tomb wrong when they said, look, it's empty. There's no way they were at the wrong tomb because, again, I'm stressing to you, it was Joseph's tomb. That's not a nobody. Well, here's the next piece we have to deal with. Now then, the disciples claim they physically saw Jesus after they saw him physically die. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, where I was reading to you from, he sort of gives a list here. And starting in verse 5, he says, that, or let me back up to verse 4, that Jesus was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. But now in verse 5, he calls on some witnesses. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. So he appeared to Peter and then the rest of the apostles. But that's not all. He goes on, he appeared to more than five hundred disciples at one time we have that recorded in one of the gospels it was on a mountainside so paul brings up here most of these people are still alive to this day but some have fallen asleep meaning they've died verse 7 after that he appeared to james that's the half brother of jesus then to the rest of the apostles then, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also, Paul meaning uh, himself. Now, here's what's interesting to me. When I was looking at this back in college, I said, you know what? You can say you don't believe the Bible. That's fine. But here's what you have to square with if you want to deny the resurrection of Jesus. Again, I, I keep wanting, I'm going to repeat this because I, to me it was so important when I understood this. That story, if it were false, would have been too easy to prove wrong. Too easy to prove wrong. Because, think about this, if I'm trying to fake a story, I'm probably going to be vague with my details. If, if they made up the story of Jesus, why would they be so specific as to tell you where the tomb was, who took custody of the body, who saw the tomb empty on the third day? I mean, they give you names, Mary and some of the women. And here's Paul saying, I can give you names, Go talk to James. Go talk to Peter. Go talk to Thomas, Matthew, and on and on. And then he says, oh, and by the way, there was 500 people that saw him on a mountainside. Go talk to any of these guys, and they'll tell you, yes, we saw him after we saw him die. We saw him physically. Well, why does that matter? It matters to me because, once again, this would be too easy to disprove. If you're living in their day, all you had to do was say, well, Paul, I'll take you up on that challenge. 
Let me go talk to these guys. This is a lot of witnesses to all say the same thing. I'll get to that in a second. But Peter, uh, 500, James, the half-brother of Jesus, why does all this matter? I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself in my notes, I know. But again, it matters because he's calling people by names. Think of the opposite. Let's say Paul had said, yes, Jesus rose from the dead, and we have witnesses. Well, who are they, Paul? Well, it's just a bunch of people. Well, it doesn't tell me anything. Who are they? Well, look, we just know it was a bunch of people. Some are dead, some are alive. But they know it happened, and one of the convincing proofs to me is they're not ashamed of it, and they'll give you names. Go talk to this guy, this guy, this woman, these people. If I have a fake made-up story, I'm less likely to give you that much detail. Because you can easily go fact-check me and prove me wrong. There are too many eyes that were on this event. It would have made more sense to be readily shown false if it were not true. How else can we explain that this movement exploded? And think about that too. Here we are over 2,000 years later after that event. Look how big the church of Christ is. How can you explain if that were false, that this ragtag group of 12 men, who were cowards, by the way, how can we explain that this movement has exploded to what it is today if it was just a phony, fake, made-up story? Again, my argument is because these people, these men and women, literally saw Jesus. Now, we said before that eyewitness testimony can be hit or miss. So you might say, for, well, but wait a minute, you've told us earlier direct evidence and eyewitnesses can be unreliable. That's true. Here's why I believe this is not apples to apples. In this case, it's interesting that you have over 500 eyewitnesses all telling you the same story. All telling you that they saw Jesus physically alive again after they saw him die. Okay? It'd be different to me if you just had four or five. I'll even go so high as, let's say you had 20, 50. If you had 50, I, yeah, 50 people, I guess, could sort of get together and collude a story, you know. But for their day, they're so bold as to say, I can give you names and places, and I can call on over 500 people to tell you that this happened. He rose again. That's a lot of eyewitnesses. So in this case, I will tell you, it seems highly illogical to me that something like this could be made up and you can call on over 500 eyewitnesses to all tell you the same thing. But how could this be faked? Again, to me, it, it's harder to say it's a fake because of all the detail that they give. Then they're, they're sort of opening themselves up to criticism is what they're doing. The more details I give you, the more I'm giving you permission to fact check me. But if I'm scared that you might uncover lies or misinformation... I'm going to give you the smoke and mirrors, right? I'm not going to give you all the details for you to fact check. I'm going to have you chasing in circles. But they're giving you detail upon detail. Go talk to this guy, this woman, these people, this location. Here's what happened. Here are some non-Christian historians affirming this as well. A guy, a historian, and these are non-Christians, okay? A guy named Gerard Ludman. He says, it may be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. Pauline Friedrichsen says, the disciples' conviction that they had seen the risen Christ are facts known past doubting. These are non-Christians. That same guy says this longer quote. 
I know in their own terms what they saw was the raised Jesus. That's what they say. And then all the historical evidence we have afterwards attest to their conviction that that's what they saw. Now notice how he concludes, though. I'm not saying that they really did see the raised Jesus. I wasn't there. I don't know what they saw. But I put in bold the important part. But I do know that as a historian, they must have seen something. So you have non-Christian historians like this having to admit, when we look at the data and the evidence, even outside the Bible, those guys saw something. And they saw something, they claim that they saw their master alive again. Now we don't believe that part, because that's just crazy, right? But we have to acknowledge that they did see something, and it radically altered the rest of their lives to the point they were willing to die for what they say they saw. Interesting, right? So why not just believe he rose from the dead? But that they don't. That's where they stop short. The disciples changed lives. So let's look at this point. The disciples changed lives. We have to square with historical facts like those guys were saying, that the disciples had radically changed lives. That has to be reckoned with. And here's why. These guys were cowards. They were hiding and even abandoned Jesus at his trial and his crucifixion. John is the only one recorded as still being in the crowd at his crucifixion. I mean, do you remember uh, Peter? I mean, he lied three times, right? Even to a little servant girl. The Bible says even using profanity when asked, you knew him, right? You're one of his followers. We don't know what profanity he's using, but the Bible just says he was using curse words for their day of like, I don't know that guy. You're crazy. I'm not one of his. They're cowards. They were even, after the resurrection, behind locked doors. It records at least two times in the Gospels they were in hiding. The women find the empty tomb, if you remember the story, and they go run and tell the disciples, but they're still like, well, that's weird, right? But we're going to hide behind locked doors because they think they're next. How is it then that this ragtag group of cowardly disciples could go from fearful for their lives, hiding behind locked doors, denying him to little servant girls, hiding. How can they go from that? And when we get to the book of Acts, they're willing to die for the testimony that they saw Jesus rise again. They had a a radical shift in their life, is what I'm saying. How is it that they go from cowards in hiding to willing to die for preaching Jesus, having risen from the dead, and that salvation is found in his name. A quick example, Paul called on James, right? James was the half-brother of Jesus. Well, in John 7, 5, John records that Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. James did not believe in Jesus at first. Yet later on, you see James's life was radically changed. We find in the book of Acts, he's the chief pastor at the first church of Jerusalem. Then, we know from church history, he died claiming Jesus was the Messiah. Paul is a big one. Who was Paul? Well, he was a bounty hunter, I would call him. He got permission from the government authorities to go hunt and track down Christians, haul them out of their houses, throw them in jail, and Paul says he even had some killed. But yet, on that road to Damascus in the book of Acts, he says... My life was changed forever. I saw Jesus. What's the explanation? So again, we have to reckon with these facts here. 
If Jesus was truly killed, which is recorded in history, he was buried in a known public, politically rich, richly connected figure, Joseph of Arimathea. We know that from recorded history. We also know from recorded history the tomb was found empty three days later. They could not produce his body and prove the disciples liars. His followers claimed that they saw him in the flesh after they saw him die. And I quoted you some historians that admit they saw something. I won't admit it was Jesus, but they saw something. His followers were then once cowards who were boldly preaching at the risk of their own lives and even suffered death. John was exiled, arguably, but they all suffered to one degree or another for preaching the message of Jesus. So then my question is, what makes the most sense? That it's fake, made up, or maybe, just maybe, what they say they saw was real. That they really saw Jesus after he was killed. Maybe, just maybe, they were telling the truth, right? And he really did rise from the dead. So I want to stop there um, because I'm over my time. So uh, if we need to, we can look. I have some objections that people could throw back at that, and there's good answers to. But I, I want to respect your time, so I will pause there, and we can look at that next time. Thank you for watching. Join us next time as we will look at objections to the resurrection and consider how to answer them.